So, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 55. Isaiah was a prophet, major prophet, not because he was more important, because all prophecy is important, right? Why is he considered a major prophet? Yes, the length of the book, right? The length of his prophecies. One of the longest uh, prophecies recorded. Isaiah had a lot of nearer prophecies, a lot of intermediate prophecies, and then a lot of far in the future prophecy, right? Like um, some of the first coming of Christ, some of the second coming of Christ, and then some of the impending danger of those uh, battles and issues they were facing right then. So, um, you know, he had a lot of prophecies. Part of dealing with the book is your understanding of that, your understanding of knowing if it's uh, this, you know, what time frame he's talking about. But then on top of that, there's dual prophecies where one could be true immediately, and then there's one that's going to be, that's also going to be true in the future. So you also have dual fulfillment. That's a word you're going to hear if you study the Bible, especially any type of prophecy. It's called dual fulfillment. Once uh, once filled by a historical thing, and then the second time filled by the coming of Christ. So, um, trudging our way through this, Isaiah is really a masterpiece. I think last week as we worked through some of that chapter, just the imagery, the wording, you know, just the, uh, you know, just the way he could put things with words is really um, unbelievable. And, um, you know, you just kind of look at them and you read them. It's a great book to um, think about and pray through. And um, Isaiah 53 last week talked about just the graphic, uh, descriptive nature of the cross of Jesus Christ, the suffering, the punishment that he took on that cross. And also Isaiah 53 was the, is the most quoted chapter of all the Old Testament uh, in the New Testament. Jesus quoted it, Paul quoted it, you find it in, in several of the New Testament writings. So Isaiah 53, powerful, powerful chapter about the crucifixion of Christ, about the, you know, his death on the cross and how all that was orchestrated and planned by God and part of the sovereign will of God. Um, really, where the Gospels are kind of shrouded in mystery, because the Gospel doesn't give a whole lot of detail about the crucifixion, it doesn't give a whole lot of details about what went into it. Um, Isaiah 53 really does. It talks about the disfigurement. It talks about, you know, um, all the punishment and all the, um, you know, stuff that uh, happened to Christ. Um, and so I told you a number last week that the probability of someone other than Jesus Christ fulfilling all of Isaiah chapter 53 and I told you I didn't know how to pronounce that number. I looked it up, and I still don't know how to pronounce it, all right? It's huge, all right? It is astronomical, put it that way. The chances that someone other than Jesus Christ of Nazareth fulfilling Isaiah 53 is, we could go ahead and just say, absolutely impossible. There's no mathematical solution or scientific understanding that that could be fulfilled any other way than Jesus Christ that's how many prophecies he fulfilled in Isaiah of Isaiah 53 of his death his burial and his resurrection so I'm pretty sure 
Um, if you want to look that up, Josh McDowell is the one that has some of those numbers of the prophecies and stuff. So very, very large number. So tonight, Isaiah 54 and 55, as we know, the suffering of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, but then we have the reign of Christ. So we're going to look at these invitation chapters. We're going to look at these conquering chapters. And really, Isaiah 51 is about the servant, which was Christ. And then Isaiah 54, all the way to the end, is about the servants of Christ. So because the servant of God overcame, the servants of God can overcome too. Basically, that's what we're going to get out of this. So because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, now we're going to see what those who put their faith and trust in him can accomplish as servants of the Lord. So Isaiah 54 starts off with some hope, starts off with a proclamation. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more, are, uh, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. So, uh, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your... In other words, he's saying it's going to be, uh, you know, an expansion. It's going to be something that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, pr profitable, something that you shouldn't be fearful of, you shouldn't be worried about that before this conquering of Christ, there was no hope, but now there is hope. Those who have laid waste, those who are desolate, those who um, have had no hope, now all of a sudden you have hope as the servants of the Lord. I don't have time to get all of chapter 54, uh, but I hope you read through it. One verse I do want to jump to uh, is verse 17. And Isaiah 54, 17 is a wonderful verse, a verse that my dad quotes, a verse, matter of fact, that's in the foundation of our church right here on this side over here. All right, It's in the foundation in the footer uh, that we had printed out and put, and it's a wonderful promise. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And obviously we know this is written to the nation of Israel. This was written to an immediate fulfillment, but it's also not a stretch to make it a dual fulfillment of the prophecy of those who serve the Lord. And I find it very interesting in chapters in verse 17, it doesn't say that no weapon will ever be formed against you, Right? It said, no weapon formed against you. So we are going to have weapons formed against us, right? We have an enemy. We have people that's going to come against us. We're going to have trials and tribulations, and we're going to have the, uh, you know, uh, people against us. So the weapon will be formed. But it says, the weapon formed against you shall, uh, shall not prosper, right? So no weapon that comes against you shall prosper, shall be accomplished. In other words... There is nothing that could overcome God's will in your life. There's nothing that God that God cannot overcome, that you cannot, that you cannot overcome through God. It is no weapon formed against you. Then every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. Now, I always find it interesting that 
people get all bent out of shape and all torqued out because someone said something bad about them, right? And, you know, it's just kind of par for the course, right? It's kind of just being a Christian because you're going to have people make accusations against you. Uh, I can remember when I was growing up, and especially when I was in college, you know, all the, are you too good? You know what I mean? You think you're better than us. You think this and you think that because it's always just a, just a, a you know, a tongue that rises against you, that rises against what you stand for, rises against your faith in God. All those things, the world's going to rise against you. It'll come against you, but not uh, every tongue that rises, you shall condemn, meaning that you should not even listen to or by your works is going to put them to shame then this is the heritage of the servants of the lord and their righteousness is for me says the lord i mean what a great promise right isaiah 54 17 if you don't have uh, that marked in your bible i encourage you to mark it i encourage you to re uh, to memorize it put it in your memory bank bank a great scripture all right so majority of the time tonight i want to spend in isaiah 55 and uh I don't know, each and every week I say, these are some verses that you can't leave out of your Christianity, right? I mean, Isaiah is full of verses that just really are uh, some wonderful words in God's word. And so verse 1 begins with a great invitation. He says, ho, or oh, or listen up, hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So he gives this great invitation. He's saying, listen, all you and everyone who thirsts, come to me. Come to the waters. Now, in that day, we're not as uh, dependent upon water as they would have been. In the Middle East, it was a huge, huge issue to make sure you had enough water. If you didn't have water, you was not going to live, right? I mean, it was pretty much a, a death sentence if you could not find water. And so, you know, for us, we have water everywhere. Matter of fact, how many of you thought, would have ever thought in your lifetime that you'd be paying 2 to $3 for a bottle of water somewhere, right? And if you go to a Jaguar game or a Gator football game or any of them games, you're paying $7 a bottle for water, right? I mean, $7. Who had ever thought you'd have to pay for water? But uh, this kind of water is very important because if you didn't have it, you were going to die. So he's saying, all you who thirst, all you who have uh, this, this thirst for righteousness, come to the waters. I invite you. I want you to come. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have anything. Come to me without price. This is the great invitation of the Bible. And, and you know, I love, uh, uh, you know, the invitations of the Bible. It is it is to all the way up from the top to the bottom, from every social class, from every period of, uh, of time. It is the great invitation of God. I want you to come. You think about the Bible. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, when God came the next day and he was going through the garden, you remember who called out to who? Was it Adam who called out to God? No, it was God who called out to Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Come here, Adam. He invited him to come, and God wasn't looking for information, by the way, all right? He had already known that Adam had sinned, but he still sent the invitation. Think about Noah and his family when that first crack of thunder and the rain began to fall. You remember what he said? Come, 
get on the ark, right? It's time to close the door. Salvation has come. It's time to close that door. Salvation is here. Christ, even today, the Holy Spirit knocks on the doors of people's hearts and says, Come, come to the waters. Come to the salvation. Come, you don't need anything. It's the great invitation. And, and when we see over in Revelation, when it's all said and dead, done, we see how big of an invitation that really was. I mean, every tongue, every tribe, and, and I mean, thousands and millions of people around the throne of God from every nation and every tongue and every tribe. What a, what a, what a great invitation. That, that God's invitation is not just for a select group or just the upper class or just those who are better than anyone else. No, it was for all people. He says, if you thirst, let him come. Let him come. I want you to come. I want you to see this. And then look at verse 2. Why do you spend money for what, what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. I love this. Say, why are you in the world buying these idols? Why are you in the world Buying things that's not giving you provision or sustenance. Why are you buying things that doesn't satisfy you? Like you have tried it all. You're trying it all. You think it's going to satisfy you. He's like, listen carefully to me, right? Like, listen to me. And I think if you read through the Old Testament, one of the things you come away with is the foolishness of idols. We talked a little bit about this throughout Isaiah. And God even tells him, Hey, get your idols and let's line them up, right? Let's put them before God and let's see how valuable they really are. And none of them stand before God, none of them. And then Isaiah even tells them several times, call out on those gods when you need them and see what happens, right? And you think about it in our world today. We may not have these molded idols that we may have made for gold or silver, Maybe we made them from glass and plastic, though, right? From a cell phone or some other things, right? We, we have idols. An idol is anything you place above God. And when you go to the doctor and he says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I could do for you. You're about to die. Call on that idol and see what he could do for you, right? There is nothing he could do for you. Or you lay your head down at night and guilt and shame washes over your life and you become extremely convicted Call on that idol and see if he can give you forgiveness and see if he can give you rest. See if he can give you peace. That's what Isaiah is saying here. And this is what he's saying. Listen, try and don't. Why are you spending all your time for these useless idols? They can do nothing. I mean, there is nothing they can satisfy. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. Matter of fact, he says, listen carefully to me. And look at verse 3. Incline your ear. And come to me. They're saying, listen, I want your attention. Listen to what I'm saying. You need to turn your radio on, so to speak, right? There was an old gospel song, Turn Your Radio On. You guys ever heard that? And uh, it, it just mentions that, you know, there is a signal of God that is going out. 
And if you're not hearing that, you need to turn your radio on, right? Like, you need to turn your radio on so that you can hear the word of the Lord. This is the exact same thing he's saying here. Listen, the word of God is going out, and my message is going out. Incline your ear. Turn your radio on. Come to me. This is the, this is the second time he's saying, come to me. I want you to come to me. He says, hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. He's saying, I want to make something with you that you can't get from this world. Verse 4, indeed, I have given him as a witness to all the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. In other words, he says, everything you are is because of me. And when you come to me, you're going to find out I am the Lord, your God. I'm the Holy One. And then even those nations around you, when they run to you, make sure you tell them of me. Now, we know what happened to Israel, right? National Israel was so full of pride that when the people ran to them, they said, get away from us. You're unclean, right? We don't want to hear from you, right? Like, like we have something you don't, and instead of pointing them to God, they were pointing to their own self-pride and righteousness, saying, look how righteous we are. So, like, we know they ended up failing through this, but that wasn't the invitation. That wasn't the call of God. The call of God was when someone comes to you, point them in the right direction. Like, it's not who you are. It's who God is. And, you know, so many times in our life, we need that reminder, right? Like a lot of times people ask you, well, how are you so blessed? And one of the most common questions I get, and rightfully so, is how in the world did you ever meet Aaron and marry her, right? Like, it's a sorry man that can't marry himself, right? I mean, no, I'm just teasing. But even in your own life, someone says, how are you blessed in your career? How are you blessed wherever you live? How are you blessed? Like, what in the world? What's going on in your life? Why do you have peace? in the midst of a world that's falling apart? How can you have joy when you've lost a loved one in your life? How can you have this, this understanding that things are going to be all right and you, you are totally calm with this even though these things are falling apart in life and in your life, our job and responsibility is point them to God. It is not what we do, it's what God has done. It is because of Him, the Holy One of Israel. He's the one who has glorified us and He's telling the nation of Israel and this applies to us today look at verse 6 seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near I uh, was talking about this this past Sunday in the book of Romans chapter 1 there are some fearful statements in the Bible right I told you probably for me, number one, all time, I didn't say this on Sunday, I said it was one of them, but this is probably the top one of the list for me. When Jesus said there were going to be people who come to me, and that they're going to say, we cast out demons in your name, we did all, we served you, in your, and, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. To me, that's a frightening statement, right? Another frightening statement is in Romans chapter 1, four times. Paul, in chapter 1 of the last part of those verses, says God gave them over or God gave them up. 
God gave them over, meaning that God reached the limit. There is a limit to God's mercy, right, and God's forbearance. And God gets to a point that when you desire and seek your own way, so much so, God finally gets and says, that's it. Go your own way. I don't care. I'm turning you over. And one of the phrases I used to uh, really hit home with me, New King James Version doesn't say it this way, but one of the phrases is, turn them over to a reprobate mind. I always thought, you know what would be so sad if someone says you had a reprobate mind. You know what a reprobate mind is? A completely warped, a, a, a tarnished mind that is broken, that can never return. Turned them over to vile passions. Talk about, you know, as we went through the whole list of those sins, and although personally we all can identify with some of those sins, but yet societally, is that a word, Amy? I don't know, as a society... Right, as a society, when a country or a group of people forsake God, the spiral downhill is all the way to homosexuality and perversion. And it's just, un, it's just like unedited or raw passions. And women forsake what is natural for women. I mean, that's pretty simple to figure out. Men doing with men what is, you know, uh, a recompense of their way and all these things like that. I mean, you can see that in a, in a society, and, and yet he's telling them, turn them over, turn them over, turn them over, turn them over. I mean, it's like, and even here, he's saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. So that tells you there's a time when you will call upon God, he may not be found. Uh, there's a big discussion in the Old Testament about Pharaoh. Matter of fact, I was reading a little bit about this week. Some people say, what about Pharaoh? It says in the Bible that God harden Pharaoh's heart, right? We can read that in Scripture, and we know that. But what we also know is that God, through the revelations of who he is and for his people, that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God first, right? That God, that God had directed Pharaoh to let his people go. He said no. He rejected God. He rejected God. He rejected God. And then when it got to a time that would benefit Pharaoh to let him go, right, he said, God, you know, I, I want to change my heart. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Like, this is not for your way. This is for my way now because you, you've given up your right. You've given up your way. And so he said, let, you know, he says here, like, calling it out. So there is a time when God reaches that limit. Think of the flood. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of the end times when Christ is finally going to return and say, that's it, I can't take anymore, that God's righteousness has been violated, and yet it has come to a point. And so what he's saying is like, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So I always tell people, do you hear God knocking on the door of your heart? Or you hear God calling you to come to him? Don't put that off. Don't, don't do it. And even Paul says, like, he, he says, today is the day of salvation. Like, hear the word of the Lord and don't put it off. You know, I've learned that in your life. When you put something off that God puts on your heart, it becomes harder and harder to, obedient, to be obedient to it the further away you get from that conviction. Like, I know people that God had called them into the ministry. They did not surrender to it. And then down the road of their life, it has become a distant reality because they wasn't immediately obedient to what God called them to do. 
happens in my life. God will call me to witness to someone. And I know I'm supposed to witness to them. But yet I don't witness to them. The next time I see them, you know what? There's a little frog in my throat like, I should have witnessed this guy. I knew it. And then like, you know, three weeks into the deal, after dealing with somebody or knowing someone or even a month into it, all of a sudden I'm like, ah, I got to tell you something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's hard. Like, you have to really work at it. But I learned if God puts something on your heart, immediately do it. Do it while the Spirit is there. Do it while you have that condition in your heart and this is what he's telling like why your heart is near to the lord call on him seek him go after him like don't don't let this pass you by look at verse seven let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the lord and he will have mercy on him and to our god for he will abundantly pardon wow that's the promise we have like let the wicked forsake his way. That's repentance. That's changing the way you think, the way you believe, and the way you behave. It doesn't say just try a new turnover leaf, right? Or try harder. It says forsake. That means completely turn away. Get away from it. Like let the wicked forsake his way. The word repent means in our language like a military term. It would be like a soldier marching in one direction, they yell repent, and he marches in the other direction, right? I mean, like a total turn, all, I mean, all the way around and marches the other way. He's like, if you're going this way, forsake that, completely turn. And then, and the unrighteous man with his thoughts, so not only his way, but his thoughts, and then let him return to the Lord. Let him be back to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He will have mercy on him. I tried to explain this before in Bible study, the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is you getting something you don't deserve, right? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is an acrostic for God's riches at Christ's expense, all right? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's an easy way to remember that. Grace is God giving you something that you did not earn or deserve. But now mercy is God not giving you something you deserve, right? Like mercy is you deserve punishment. You deserve wrath. You deserve the, you know, the wrath of God, but because of his mercy, he's not going to put that on you. He's going to give you something. He's not going to uh, give you something that you, uh, that you earn. So we are guilty. One of my favorite stories about mercy I haven't said it in a long time. So chances are you've probably never heard this or you've forgotten it, all right? One of my favorite stories about mercy is this real wealthy woman wanted a beautiful portrait picture, uh, you know, drawn of her. And uh, she was very, very wealthy, but she was not very pretty, all right? So she didn't get a lot of compliments about how pretty she was or how beautiful she was. And so she went to this painter who was a famous painter, and he says, I want you to, to draw this. I, mean, I want you to paint this, uh, you know, picture of me, and I want it to look wonderful. You know, I want it to look beautiful. And uh, so he paints her on up, and he gets it all ready. He gets the big reveal, and uh, he pulls it off, and she looks at it, and she goes, Oh, my gosh. She's like, that does not do me justice. And the painter looks and says, ma'am, you don't need justice. You need mercy with the way you look. 
that's us, right? I, you, know what I, you know what makes me cringe about people when they say this? Only God can judge me. Mm. Or they say, yeah, well, I'll take my chances, right? Oh, man. Like, we don't stand in, we don't stand in our own righteousness. We, we have no chance with God. I, I, for me, I'm going to beg for mercy. Like, God, show me your mercy. Don't give me what I deserve, right? And that's what he's saying. You come to the Lord, he won't give you what you deserve. He's going to give you mercy. And then uh, our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I love it when the Bible uses these descriptions, not just pardon, but abundantly pardon. Man, I mean, abundantly pardon because of the, you know, the, the unbelievable amount of guilt that we have and shame that we have. Not just pardon, abundantly pardon. Like complete forgiveness, total forgiveness, forgiveness over the top, forgiveness as you can't even describe or imagine that God abundantly pardons. He does not hold you guilty anymore. Abundantly pardon. You say, well, how in the world does that happen? Blows my mind, right? Well, look at verse 8 and verse 9. This is God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than, than your thoughts. Isn't that amazing? You know why this is so wonderful this is so great? Because we serve a great God. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that's not like us, right? You know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, if I were God, I would do things different. Let me tell you, first off, the thought of you being God is really, really scary, right? Second off, I promise you, you will not be a very good God, all right? You could not be God. And, and, you know, if you read through the Bible, you realize everybody's faith journey gets to a point where you got to realize and you got to confess this. God, you are God and I'm not. Job had to learn this. You know, Moses learned this. You know, Peter learned this. Paul learned this. We all got to get to a point in our life where we say, you know what? I, I don't have to understand this. I don't have to know this. I, I, I don't have to know or understand or, or, or know how to, uh, you know, how forgiveness works and how the shedding of blood and how the, you know, the cross works. I don't have to know those things because I know the God of those things. And his ways are higher than my ways. And his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And his way, and you know, heavens, uh, you know, literally the courts of heaven are higher than anything we can judge here on this earth. So, so what, what Isaiah is just saying is that there is a God up in heaven ruling on a throne that his ways are not our ways. And so many times we want to figure out God. We want to, we want to bring God down to our level. We want to, you know, figure out God in the sense that it, it doesn't even take faith to believe in God. Like we want a God that we can reason out. So many people say, I want a God that I can understand. I want a God that I can fit in my box, basically. Let me tell you, God doesn't fit in our box. He doesn't fit by reason. And what we believe about who God is and what he does is by faith. It is faith that God is bigger than us. It is faith that God's ways are greater than ours. It's faith that God's uh, ruling from heaven, not here on earth. 
And so many times we look at it from an earthly standpoint and we say it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. But we don't have to understand it. We have to look at it from the perspective of if God has allowed this or God has caused this, his ways are way higher than my ways. And I can't understand how a condemned sinner under the wrath of God can confess Jesus Christ and be abundantly pardoned and be made right with God and live in eternity in heaven one day. I don't deserve that, and I certainly don't think I've earned that, but I believe that because that's what God has said. And that's his way, and that's what he has told me, and that's what I'm going to trust in. That's what I have faith in, and it doesn't, care, it doesn't matter what my thought is. It's a matter of what his ways are and his thoughts are. I mean, that's the, that's the promise we have. That's the, that's the meat of who we are and what we have by faith. And so many times, you know, many people get stuck on this point. It comes down to salvation comes down to God's plan for their life, and they say, I just can't see it, you know? I just can't grasp it. And yet, that's where faith has to come in. That's where that trust has to come in. And when you finally learn that, when it comes and you understand that, look at verse 10. Whereas the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but the water, the earth, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, right? Saying, listen, when you believe that, just as sure as rain falls and just as sure as the snow comes, it, it gives seed, it gives bud, it, it gives bread to the eater. And then look at verse 11, so, so shall my word uh, be that goes from, forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. But it, will, it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, I done told you, Isaiah is packed with scriptures you need to memorize, all right? This is a scripture you need to memorize. Isaiah 55, 11. And he says, you know, my word will go forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. I said this many times. But I'll repeat it again. You know, the famous bumper sticker used to be around a lot. I haven't seen it in a while. But it always said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it, right? <laughs> you know, you could take that middle phrase out, all right? God said it. That settles it, right? I mean, like, like God's word is going to go forth, and it will accomplish exactly what God wants it to do, and there is nothing going to stop it. God's word is so powerful that he says, once it goes forth, once my will, my word, it shall not return void. And that just shows us the importance that we have, not only in God's words, but in God's written word. That's why we as a Bible-believing church preach and teach God's word. Listen, I can get up here and give you opinions. I can give you psychology. I can give you self-help. I can give you all sorts of understandings of who I am or what, what we must do. But let me tell you, nothing is great than God's word nothing and when you give God's word you have this promise that his word will not return to him void period that's why it's always I always say it's very very important to memorize scripture and that's why some people say well why do you do some of the things you do in your service like the Bible pledge why do you say the Bible pledge well we say the Bible pledge because it says I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God right 
that we need to know God's word and we put it in our hearts. And when we are in a situation, what comes out of our mouth is God's word. And yet we need to have it in there because that's where the power is. Because his word never returns void. Never. And, and you know, that's why I just love Wednesday nights for the kids. Because even though they're going through the bright curriculum, which is a curriculum of Awana, a big portion of that is memorizing scripture. A big portion of that is teaching the Word of God. We don't teach principles or life skills or any of those things like that to kids. We don't dumb down the Bible for them. We teach them the Bible. Teach them the Word of God. We teach them the things of God. And why do we do that? Because His Word will not return void. It will accomplish what He pleases. What God says, it will happen through His Word, through His prophecies, through what He says, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isn't that a great promise? It's a great promise. So many times I tell people, you got to get you a life verse. You know what I mean? Get you a life verse. And man, I've had four life verses over my life, all right? So I guess I'm on my fourth lifetime because I've had a lot of lifetime verses. Um, but, you know, some great verses in the Bible that you can memorize, that you can quote, that you can, you can share. You can know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great life verse. I mean, just, just to repeat that, to know it, to share it. And God's word, when it goes forth, it will not accomplish. This way saying, this will happen, this is going to happen. And what, can, what shall we do about it? Look at verse 12. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. Man, and those are two things you can't buy in this world, right? Joy and peace. You can try happiness, that's going to let you down. You can try peace of mind but it's going to eventually let you down right but through God's word through trusting in the Lord pardoned by God you can have joy and you can have peace you can go out with abundant joy you can be led out with peace meaning that your heart can be uh you know in complete peace with the will of God fully satisfied in the Lord and fully at peace with God I mean wow that's amazing and we talk about peace a lot Two important components to that is peace, uh, you know, peace with God and the peace of God, right? We need peace with God, which comes from the pardon. But now this is this is a this is a walking peace that you can have the peace of God in every situation you're in. And he's like, listen, you can go out to your job, you can go out to the world, you can go out all these places, you can be led out with joy, and you can be led by peace. Look at the second part of this: the mountains. And the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up uh, the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. They say where this thorn which should come up, a tree, a cypress tree will come up. Where this briar will come up, a myrtle tree will come. He's just saying, listen, life in the will of God is so much greater than the life outside of the will of God. You know, I have people tell me all the time, you know, living for God, there's a great cost for living for God. And that's true. That's true. I mean, discipleship is tough, right? I mean, you have to, you have to, you have to deny yourself. You have to humble yourself. You have to trust in God. And it's a great cost. But let me tell you, not living for God is a greater cost, right? I mean, not only do you get the worst of it here, you're going to get the worst of it there too, right? I, I heard one pastor say it this way, and I love the way he put it. He says that 
as a Christian, uh, you know, your worst day on earth is as bad as it will ever get. But he says, as a non-Christian, your best day on earth is the best it will ever get. Let me tell you, if you would trade what God has in store in eternity for you for what we can have on this earth, that's foolish, right? I mean, there is no comparison. I mean, there is nothing like this God, this God who is a God who has all these things in our life. And Isaiah is just driving us home to the nation of Israel, and it drives home to us over and over and over again that we need to trust in the Lord and call upon his name, and, and he will lead our lives, and we will have the blessed life in the middle of God's will. That's the perfect thing for us. So let me pray. We'll talk about some comments and questions, uh, and then we'll um, have our prayer time tonight. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings in our life, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, what some, these are some great promises, Lord. God, we know whatever we may do, wherever we may go, that you are there for us, Lord. And God, I even pray while you're near, while you're here, even tonight, Lord, that as we call upon your name, Lord, that we'll be obedient to your will. God, that we will just uh, seek your face and seek your peace and your joy in our life, Lord. And God, I pray maybe if we're struggling with something or maybe someone's wrestling with something by faith and we could just say, God, I trust you. I am God and you are not. And God, your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are way higher than my thoughts, God. And I'm thankful for that. I'm fully trusting in you, Lord. And God, I just pray for our hearts and our lives as we look to this world and think, man, this world is just, you know, there's so many things in this world that pulls us away from the will of God. May we turn from those things. May we forsake those ways. May we trust in you with our whole heart and follow after you and see the rewards of living a life in the will of God, Lord. And God, we do thank you that you do bless those who live in your will. You give peace and joy. You give, you give just a pardon of sin to know that our guilt and our shame is under the blood of Christ. And we thank you for that, Lord. And God, I just pray as we leave this place, we'll be in your will and we'll just serve you. And I pray, God, we'll see the blessings of God in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Any comments? I'm not running off. <laughs>